everyone. It's been a long time since I did these uh, live streams. How are the holidays? Hopefully you guys are staying dry, but welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. We have a lot, a lot to cover today because it's been a couple of weeks. So as usual, every first Saturday of the live stream of the month, we're going to go over the market data. So we're going to review what has actually been going on. So if you want to see specific stats, you don't want to be missing this show. And feel free to leave in the comments below with what else you may want to see. And I can pull it for you in real time. So that's number one. Number two, we're going to be talking about some other things that have been going on. Building permits are down due to high construction costs and interest rates. First-time homebuyers struggle to find options as housing inventory remains slim. Why is that the case? We're going to hear this over and over again. Uh, my wife and I live an average life in the Bay Area, making $320,000. And they previously bought a house for $200,000 over ask. And now they don't want to live it anymore. So they want to try to see, get professional help. Maybe talk to a financial advisor. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the recent thing proposed by Biden. Immigration fees increase in a time right now where, uh, as a lot of people have been affected and been laid off. It'll be interesting to see what happens with like the whole H-1B process and as people find new replacement jobs. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the LinkedIn workforce report in December. We're also going to talk about high mortgage rate recession fears. Who wants to buy a house right now? Who are the people even interested in buying a house? And a few other headline articles of a week. So as you can see, we got a lot to cover. So let's go right into it in terms of the data. So I'm going to be pulling up Santa Clara County in terms of residential. This includes single family, condos, and townhomes. And here is how we ended the year. The highs as a recap of the year was in April of 2022. The highs was at a total of 1.61 million. Now in December, we hit a bottom of the year, 1.3 million. For people that want to do some math, that is a $310,000 decline. And that is a 19% decline from the highs. So it gives you an idea of what has been going on in the county of of Santa Clara County. Now, if you compare it over to the beginning of the year, the January to December at 138 to at the end of the year. So when you look at the stats, and this is very important, when you look at the 2022 stats, the numbers aren't what I just shared because you're actually from, you're going from the peak of things to the bottom of things. But if you look at the 2022 stats, when people ask, how was 2022? The reality of 2022, if you're only looking at the beginning of the year, which is 138, to December at 1-3, that's only $80,000 decline, right? So when people ask about how the year was, the year was not as dramatic, right? It was a 5.7% decline. And that's why it's so important when you look at the stats, you look at the stats from history, you have to just be mindful. It's not taking the absolute peak of things. It's just taking of the, the year-over-year changes. And so while the market has declined, the year over, the year 2022 performance was about 5.8% decline, but this was about 19% decline from the highs. Now, what does this mean for individuals like yourself? Well, obviously, it depends on which side you're on. Um, at the end of the day, number one, for those that are thinking that we're at the top of the market, clearly we're not. Uh, it's been evidently impacted significantly by inflation, by high interest rates. And so it has already accommodated a lot of that pain already for most individuals. So 19% decline. 
all the stuff that you think about higher interest rates, interest rates as they increase impact affordability. But right now, the numbers are actually the decrease in prices have already been more significant than the increase of interest rates. That's how much the imbalance has already been. Now, the other thing to be mindful of it is for those that have bought a place, like I bought a place myself in May of this year, would I do different things differently? This is what's very important. At the end of the day, it just depends on what your other options are, right? Like it's not like other options have done significantly better. You can argue that a lot of people that fortunately sold stock during this time, let's talk about any of you that own Tesla stock, would have been super glad to have bought housing instead of keeping it all, right? So at the end of the day, it's all relative to what was opportunity cost, how it is compared to the other markets. And so at the end of the day, all asset class have been impacted. But at least in this case, you have a house and you are getting the benefits of that. And, and there's difference, there are different benefits there and you're locking the rates, so on and so forth, right? So at the end of the day, it's important for people to understand that, that it's all relative to, to what are your other alternatives are. So, but this is the fact of what it has been. So for those that have been considering the benefit right now is because there are significantly less buyers out there. And we'll talk about that too. That it just allows, it just makes it a lot easier for people to make a move. So let's take a look at a few other stats. Days to sell, the medium time of days to sell. 19 days, this is the highest of the year. So this is the medium time it takes for a home when it puts on the market to ultimately transact. Let's take a look at some other stats. A lot of people always are interested in the sales to price ratio, right? This shows, I'm going to show this. This is a sales price to original price ratio. So if a home was listed three months ago and they made a few price reductions, this is the ultimate sale price relative to what it was first listed at. So you can see of the entire year, this is the lowest it has been. So this means that people that sellers are evidently able to be more rational when it comes to making adjustments of the market. So this is what it has the difference of 95.8% of the original price. Now, this doesn't mean that you can be super aggressive if they just lowered it recently. If they lowered it recently, let's take a look at the most recent list price. You can see that number is significantly higher, right? It's at 98.8%. So what does that mean in terms of just knowledge as you look at homes? Generally, when the time comes, if they do, you have two options. If a home has been on the market for, let's say, three plus weeks, it's already the mentality that you should be able to probably get it for below what they're asking for, right? Now, you have two options then. You could already make a number. As you can see, the delta here is about 3% of original to the list price. You could already make a more of aggressive offer, maybe around that number anyways, so that you can get it before they decide to make that reduction. That's option one. Option two, you can wait for them to make the reduction and then see what happens. Now, there's pros and cons with that. At the end of the day, as you can see, it's the medium is 21 days for a home to sell. So it doesn't mean it's sitting on forever. In the Bay Area, it's still three weeks. It's not like months like all these other places that, quote, unquote, had a hot market. So the reality is this. It's, you look at the numbers. You, you want to be able to live with yourself. If you've been looking for homes for a while and you're not able to find it, you still want to feel confident, like, hey, look, I like this home, but what is the least we can do 
to get this? Like, what's the least price we can do to get this home? And those are all the strategies that are very relevant for each individual home. Because why is that important? Let's take a look at the number of homes that are actually selling. So let's look at this. Let's look at, look at new listings first, and then we'll look at uh, how many have actually sold. So take a look at this number of new listings. The downside with what we're dealing with right now is people aren't really in true distress as a homeowner. And because their rates are very low, most people's rates are under 4% if they've owned a home. Then you can see the number of homes that came on the market in December is only 429. This is the lowest of the year by far. Even if you compare against last December, this is uh, another 30% lower than it was of last December. Right? So this is going to be a structural problem that I see as we keep moving forward. I think the general numbers should be down roughly about that 15%, 20% versus historically, which means you have 15 to 20% less homes that you will even be able to choose from moving forward, even during the good times. So that is important to be mindful of in terms of how many homes may even come available. Now, let's take a look at this number of, uh, so when we look at, that's the number of new homes that come on the market. Let's take a look at how many active homes are on the market right now as we speak. You can see still very low numbers, right? 942. It's still a much better number than it was last December. So you still have a good amount, but it is some of the lowest that you will see throughout the year because it's just less new products that are coming on the market. Last thing I want to bring up is number of sales. Well, let's take a look at the how many are actually transacting. At the end of the day, with all this news that you hear, which is all negative, negative news, you can still see in the month of December alone, In this is only Santa Clara County. If you really want to add up all the counties in the Bay Area, there's still about 2,000 homes that are selling a month, right? But and as you can see in Santa Clara County alone, there are 668 homes that have transacted in the month of December, that have closed in the month of December. So things are still evidently moving. We are still personally busy. We're having a lot of people have conversations again as the new year has started. They see that home prices have declined by 19%. They know it's a good time to be able to buy and compete and have much less competition. And so that is what a lot of people are getting back into. But it is important for people to understand what is actually happening at this time to be able to come up with a valid and reasonable game plan. So that is a data of, of Santa Clara County. Let's just take a look at some other areas. So if you want to look at San Mateo County, we'll pull up some stats just to see the medium sales prices throughout. So San, San Mateo County, you can see every county roughly has the same timing, right? Because this is happening on the macro. It's not like people are leaving from one county to another. So you can see San Mateo County, medium price at, was at April 2022, 1.775. Let's just do some math of how much that has changed. To December at 1.4. That is a 21% decline. So very similar, right? Very similar to, to uh, Santa Clara County. Let's look at Alameda County as an example. Alameda County. Let's take a look what's going on. Same thing. They peaked a little bit later in May, 1.26 in May. And it declined to 950. <clears throat> so that's a 24 percent decline so you may start seeing things like a little bit further out a little bit more decline in this case let's take a look at contra costa county 
and lots will look at San Francisco. And so while I'm about to pull up San Francisco, we'll look to get your guesses. What do you think happened in San Francisco? Is it doing worse or better than some of these other counties from the peak of things? But when we look at Contra Costa County, April and May, very similar times, 905. Remember, this is a medium. For those that think they can't afford things, we got a lot of options to consider. So now the medium is 725. That is a 20% decline. Very, very similar, right? I mean, everywhere. It's so like, it's so tied together. The whole area is so tied together. And the last but not least, San Francisco. San Francisco, you go from the peak of things, April 161 to December. That's 128. 20%. I mean, everything is. <clears throat> everything is identical. I mean, literally everything is identical, as you can see. Like, everything's following the exact same trends. It ranges from 19.5% to Alameda County has been uh, hit the hardest at 24%. Uh, so very, very similar numbers just all throughout the entire Bay Area. Now, one other thing I want to point out, which is very interesting, is generally there's this myth, or maybe it's the truth. You tell me. That single-family homes are a better investment than condos and townhomes. So who, who here has heard of that statement? Now, the answer, the truth of that is, or the facts of that is, it is true over a long period of time that those are the numbers that are in place. But let's take a look at that, and let's, let's point that out right now as an investment. If you bought a single-family home, at least in the short term, you bought a single-family home, so let's say you bought in Santa Clara County, it was at 195, and now it's at 1465. This is a decline of 24.8% for single-family homeowners in the Bay Area. All right, so the decline is far greater because it had a bigger run-up than condos and townhomes. So you got to be careful when you hear of these just blanket assumptions. Now, over a long period, you're likely going to be doing better. Why is that? Because the value of the land, the more space, uh, they just don't build these kind of products anymore. But in the temporary time of things, you can say this is a good time to be able to enter in because it has gone down significantly more. Now, if you compare that with, let's say you bought a condo and townhome in Santa Clara County. Look at, let's look at this change, right? The peak was in actually May 106 minus peak 72. This is a 17.7% decline. So the decline of a condo and townhome has actually been significantly less, about eight, eight, 9% less. So these are all important things just for people to see. Now, this is all obviously the short term. This is all your cherry picking data here. We're just looking at the worst of things. Uh, as they have been progressing, but it gives people some sense as to uh, what is actually happening in terms of the data. And you can see it's really, really similar for people all pretty much all over the Bay Area. Now, Alameda County has been impacted more. I will share when it comes to Alameda County single family homes. I will point this one last thing out before we go over the different news topics of the week. Alameda County, as you can see, has actually uh, for single family has been much worse. So if you look at this, median price was 1.5. Now it's at 1.05. That's a very that's a very big change. 
as a $450,000 change and that's a 30% decline. So there presents some interesting opportunities there too for Alameda County. And Alameda County is a very, very big area, right? You have some places that are very, very nice still. Places in the hills, Oakland, Piedmont, Montclair. We have many clients that are looking out there. You certainly have the, the Tri-Valley. That's all considered in this area. So you may see lots of opportunities out there at this time. So that gives you an idea. Leave me in the comments below. Or what do you think? Was there, Were you surprised with some of these numbers? Was it as much as you may have thought it had declined? And so when I keep hearing these things, oh, we're going to keep waiting, we're going to keep waiting. Like you're going to be waiting. It's already declined quite a bit. I mean, we're, we're being pretty aggressive now. 40% decline for single family. Even the real estate recession, which was a real estate bubble caused by faulty lending and faulty people, like that was like a 50% decline. So we're already way closer hopefully, seemingly to that bottom than we are to the top, which presents a lot of interesting opportunities that we see. So let's take a look at some of these things. Uh, it's very important. I'm going to play some of these videos. All right. So yeah, let's take a let's Let's digest this. Building permits down to the to high construction costs and interest rates. So what does that mean? It means in every area is different. So when you talk, when you heard that stat of that 952, thousand units that are being built they're not distributed equally there's a lot of areas that are very pro building and have always been very pro building and so those are the areas when it comes to uh those are the areas that have really grew a lot and uh had, had just been you may argue been pushed up a lot and so we'll see what happens over time when it comes to building permits and how that impacts the bay area the bay area the key messaging about this is that we only have so many new construction spots throughout the Bay Area. And most of them are a little bit further out. So you look at like Gilroy, Hollister. I'm going to be doing a video in Hollister. There's a KV Homes out there. Uh, I helped another client buy into Gilroy. Uh, we're in contract right now as we speak for new construction. We have some more like in Tracy area, right? Some of these areas that are a little bit further out, they are the uh, places that... Uh, may stop building uh, because they don't see the opportunity as much anymore. They may as well just sit on that land and wait. Or if they have other projects that are not even starting to be built, those are other things that they may be doing. So it's important to be mindful of that when it comes to the future outlook of additional new inventory as a new housing inventory. So we will see how that plays out. The next video I want to talk about is First-time home buyers struggle to find options as housing inventory remains slim. So let's let's listen to the individual rocket talk about this. All right. So that is there's two things that he that was brought up, and this is all helpful. There is the ability to have a rate buy down for many different cases. New construction definitely. A lot of the builders has a arm. Like a, like a lending arm, right? When it comes to uh, being to help subsidize really a lot of their, their cost. So they have these lending arms that are readily available when it comes to options. So that is something that you can take advantage of, of being able to leverage lower rates right now. And it's called like a 2-1 buy down. So what, what it is in concept is there's a cost to doing it. Because we're in such a more friendly buyer market, you can have the seller pay for that cost or encourage the seller to pay for that cost. 
and they'll lower your payments because your first year will be 2% lower than what your interest rates would normally be. The second year will be one year. So they were talking about the two one buy down. And I apologize. I think a lot of people are saying they can't hear the video. I'm not sure what happened. We'll have to kind of test that around. But uh, he was talking about two one buy down. And the other thing that was brought up was about housing inventory being slim because a lot of people have a lot of equity and they have low rates. They're not really needing to make that move or want to make that move unless they really, really need to. And so we see that as a challenge across the entire country, whereas people want to buy a home, but they just can't. And that's a big problem. The transaction volume is expected to be down about 15 to 20% in 2023 versus 2022. And so what I would suggest with that is just the aspect of being flexible as much as you can, right? Adjust your parameters accordingly. Adjust your potentially budget. Maybe you can go a little bit more. Maybe you can go a little bit further out. Maybe you can you can start off with a condo or townhome instead. You can see condos and townhomes decline less than single family. Those are all the opportunities and all the things that people need to be mindful of as we continue to be in this type of environment. Um, because a big difference of this time is because rates have been so low, a lot of people have been able to take advantage of that, which means a lot of people have a very, very low cost basis. I did a poll with my own clients. Some of my clients have a have a interest rate at under 2% for a 30-year fix for a jumbo loan. You think they're ever going to move? Probably not. So that is a, a problem, right? That is a problem that we will continue to have. It is what it is. We cannot control what the Fed did. We cannot control what the Fed will do in the future. So those are all things to be very, very mindful of. Now, let's talk about some other things. We're going to hear, unfortunately, this a lot. My wife and I live an average life in the Bay Area, making $320,000. That's in, that's immaterial, to be fair, in this case. They just want to, this is a very good uh, bait uh, article. But either way, last year we bought a house for $200,000 over asking. Now we don't want to live in it. Should we get professional help? Why don't you want to live in it? Because they have a feeling of regret. And we're going to continue to see this, right? Because unfortunately, the market has declined and unfortunately it declined very quickly. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, but at the same time, people also have to be mindful and just understand like, what was your alternative? Most people did not have money in cash at that time. If you were, you were kind of a genius because that means you predicted everything while everything was going up very aggressively and you were basically ignoring FOMO. So you, you would have been a genius uh, at that point. So majority, 99% of you are not that way because Nobody times a market. Nobody can time a market. So that's number one. Number two, the question is, what was your alternative and what would it have been? You can argue now, as I did in the beginning, that fortunately, a lot of you did sell your stocks to be able to buy a house because the returns on your stock has been far worse than if you were to buy a house, even though everything has dropped. What if a lot of your money was in crypto? God forbid that. Like many, many things have been wiped out uh, completely, right? So the thing that is important to always understand, this also goes on the other way as we move forward, is what is your alternative? If everything is at all asset class have been down, the S&P has been down also 20%. It's been the same. Everything has been down the same. So the question is, what was your alternative? And if your alternative is all the same and you didn't actually have an ability to make a whole lot more money doing one thing or the other, then it was like it all kind of was a wash. And then at that point, it was just purely a good move to have divested some of it. Right? At least you have some exposure to residential real estate. 
You're getting the tax benefits of that. You're not paying rent anymore. Remember, rent is a guarantee loss. It's 100% negative on that case. So that's the important thing that people need to be framing of, of like, okay, do the math. If you actually didn't buy the house during this year and you kept it in whatever company stock that you had, would you have done better? The answer actually for most people is no, you would have done far worse. And so there is this aspect that people want to blame certain things like, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I have regret. But at the end of the day, you got to look at what was your alternative? And you can just do some basic math, right? I'll even pull up right now for you. Let's say like, let's say you own Tesla stock. Right? If you bought a six, let's say you bought six months ago. Let's say you bought a home six months ago and, and you had to sell all your Tesla stock. So at a period, you're probably like, oh man, I shouldn't have sold my Tesla stock because there was a period that had that Tesla stock had also increased by 23% of that time. But the good news, well, I mean, good news, bad news, I guess depends on which way you look at it, is it dropped 55% since six months ago. Right. And the mark housing market did not drop 55%. It didn't even drop 20 something percent during the six months. It actually dropped a little bit less than that because the drop was actually since like April timeframe. But it gives you a little bit of perspective, right? And, and let's say you own like different things in the NASDAQ. So you own like different tech companies. So same thing, right? It declined by, in this case, 9%, but NASDAQ have been impacted a whole lot more. Never mind, let's say if you own Meta stock, Google stock, all these like big, 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 uh, they used to be invincible. I mean, let's take a look at Google stock, Alphabet. Six months, six months declined by 26%, right? So it's not like too many people had like much better alternatives. And that's just something to be mindful. Of. Like it all asset class have an impact that you're not like unique by being a homeowner and uh, and you feel like particularly worse. Like the whole indexes and everything has been declining. So it gives people perspective. And if that's the case, then it's not about market timing. It's not about, oh, I shouldn't have done this or I should be doing this. It's about like, okay, well, what's your exposure like? How much do you have percentage-wise in one asset or the other? Those are the key things to be mindful of. Next, employers of foreign workers would pay more under the Biden proposal. What is your take on this? If you were here on an H-1B or you're here on an EB-5, uh, what is your take where the employers actually have significantly higher costs? Now, the question is, is it significantly higher as in these are numbers that um, that make it pro prohibitory uh, where, <coughs> excuse me, where people cannot afford to be here? The answer is not really because at the end of the day, the companies are the ones paying for it. But because of what we're going through, which is pretty significant layoffs, at least on the absolute basis of how much we've been growing by, the question is, will this reduce anything from companies as they are also looking to cut costs? I don't think it would change a whole lot because at the end of the day, if it was a good, talented person uh, and they want people to work and we still have that going on, right? How many people in the Bay Area are immigrants on an H-1B visa? They increased that by maybe, let's say, double. So they went from like 460 to like 780. So roughly, let's say double because they increased um, registering also by 200. So it's roughly about like a little bit more than double, about double. So the question is, would that impact things for companies? We'll see. Um, I don't know the answer at this point. Certainly, 
the government needs to figure out ways to continue to earn more money. I don't think this is the best solution. I think this could be a valid solution if they can increase the caps. I think that would be really, really interesting and a positive thing that we we certainly uh, need. I would rather have top talent in the U.S. or especially in the Bay Area than working in India or in China. So we'll see how this plays out. But it is important and mindful this was just released this week of a new proposal that Biden is having underway related to, to H-1B. So hopefully there's also other changes that can be done. That policy really hasn't been changed in like three decades. So it's been pretty wild. Next thing I want to bring up, this was a recent LinkedIn workforce reports. And this is very important because I want to talk about migration. I want to talk about migration, especially when it comes to like, uh, in this case, it's mostly on, if it's LinkedIn data, most of LinkedIn is about white collar movement. So you can see where people are actually going and where the net migration of people are. So people have been complaining that everybody has been moving to Texas and it's a one-way street. The answer is no. Austin, Texas has certainly gained a lot of people. Out of 10,000 members, 142 have migrated there. But it has not been a migrate net migration loss of the Bay Area. It just means there's been people that have been migrating there from all over the country and all over the world. Right. So you have places like San Francisco that continues to still gain 66 people out of 10,000 members. And remember, our base is already very big. That's the big difference. Our tech talent base, our white collar base is already one of the largest in the entire country. You have Seattle that has also continued to grow. So a lot of these hubs that are tech hubs continue to grow and continue to have more and more people. It's not a net migration out. That is very important to understand when it comes to jobs and opportunities and different things like that now i see that a lot like i've talked to so many people that have moved to the bay area from all over from korea uh from europe from canada a lot like we see this all over all the time so it's important just to be mindful of not falling into all these uh headline articles that say one thing or the other now next high mortgage rates recession fears who actually wants to buy a house in 2023 one big section that has been reported a little bit, but not reported as much, is the aspect of the return to office. I've been saying it over and over again, and you're going to hear it over and over again, because now you're going to see it over and over again. People are heading back into the office. People are heading back for many different reasons. Think about this. Em employees love the flexibility of work. Why do you like the flexibility of work? You can say it on one end. You like the ability to be close to your family, do this and that, have time to run errands, et cetera, et cetera. It has continued to be proven now for many big companies that people are just not as productive on one end. And it may be, and it's also proven on the other end that especially if you're a new person, the whole culture dynamic is completely different. It is what it is. You can blame me. You can blame all these companies that feel that way. You can look at Salesforce of how they feel about it. You can look at all these companies. There's a big reevaluation now of whether this is working or not. And there's a very interesting stat. There's a lot of stats about it now. The disconnect of job opportunities that are remote versus the people that want it is huge. It's, it's very, very big now because people are, the employers are like, look, we need people to be in the office. We need people to be productive. We need to we need to be on the same page. We need to be in war mode. This is a recession that we're dealing with. This is budget cuts that we're dealing with. 
We need to be in war mode. And if you don't want to deal with that, go ahead. Work remote. You know what's also remote? Not, not having a job is, is fully remote. And so it's brutal, but it's the reality. And it's just important to be mindful of the reality of things. And so what does that mean? It means that people that have maybe lived a little bit further out are now having to reassess their situation of maybe I need to be back in the office at least a couple of days a week. And if that's the case, um, maybe I can't live too far away. Maybe I can't live in Sacramento anymore. Maybe I can't live, as you can see, it's like Fresno anymore. Maybe I have to go back to some of these other markets that are closer to the office. So it's going to be interesting of the return to office, uh, how that impacts the Bay Area moving forward, because all the a lot of the high paying jobs are all in the Bay Area. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Next, you always want to look at some of these um, policies, because as you look at policies, you may want to determine, do you want to continue to live in that? Uh, do you want to invest in that county? And so here are something that was recently done. Alameda County bans landlords from conducting criminal background checks. That's very interesting. The ordinance will prohibit both private and public landlords from requiring applicants to disclose arrests or convictions. This is the first county in the U.S. to ban landlords from criminal background checks on prospective tenants. What do you think about that? Is that backwards? Is that crazy? Are you in alignment? Are you are you oh are you uh, supporting for more uh, tenant protection? Leave it in the comments below with what you think. Supporters say it will make it easier for people to find a place to live. Others say those checks are important safety for tenants and living nearby. That's the counter argument. The fair chance ordinance, part of a package of three tenant protection bills. The County Board of Supervisors voted on Tuesday. Applies to most residential units in the unincorporated communities of Ashland, Castro Valley, Cherryland, Fairview, San Lorenzo, and Sunnel. Uh, it also prohibits people to disclose previous arrests. The new law will take into effect in April. So it's important just to look into this a little bit more uh, before you make any investments or as you decide on what you want to do with your investments. If you feel like this could be a, if you feel this could impact you, it may impact your value of your house. It may impact your investments. You may want to do something about this, and we should talk about this if this is relevant to your situation. Next, here are Bay, the major Bay Area housing projects to watch in 2023. Key planning decisions need to be made, and the slow economy could create development challenges. These are all the plans. We'll see if they ultimately come out. But if they do, it should be very exciting because it's always exciting to have a lot of big projects transform a lot of these areas. So a couple of things. Oakland's ballpark project. There's plans for 3,000 homes in a hotel. This was where the A's, uh, or nearby the A's stadium. So that would be very exciting. We certainly have two projects that people didn't weren't aware of. We've been talking and hearing about the Downtown West project, which is Google Village. But and so we've already known that. Nothing really changed there. But the other project is around Google's Middlefield Park. They plan to redevelop its office park into 1,900 new apartments. No homes, but a ton of more apartments. It's expected to be completed in 15 to 20 years. That's the that's the sad part. Like God, that's that's who knows if Google will be relevant given what ChatGPT just did uh, and OpenAI has. So we'll see what happens because that'll be a long time. Next, you have North Bay Shore. Early plans, but they plan to add over 7,000 homes. That'll be very exciting. That area needs to be transformed. There's nothing really there right now. It's just some commercial and like uh, just bay. It's just a bay there. So it's uh, not a whole lot there at the moment. There's a golf course there uh, if you have been to that, that golf course. Next, two 
big high rises continue to be built high rise in San Jose, high rise in Oakland, ready to move forward. They have challenges ahead, but these will be interesting projects to be expanded on, especially with Google village getting a lot closer along the way. You have the project that's been going on for a long time, uh, which is the one in Concord. This is where a lot of the interesting, a lot of the Naval stations that we've had around the Bay area. Uh, now there are issues around the Naval stations because of what the Navy did in terms of contamination of soil. So you have to be mindful of that, but those are all good opportunities to be able to build. So think about some, several of these, right? You have the San Francisco shipyard and you can look into that and see the problems there. You can look at uh, Alameda. Alameda has um, several developments near that shipyard that, or used to be that shipyard. There's a lot of development on that bayfront, Alameda Bayfront. You have obviously Concord in this case. And I don't think you have anything else at the moment. Those are, I think, the remaining ones at, the, uh, at this time. But those are big projects. Next, Santa Clara will continue to make moves. Very exciting. So, so where is it in Santa Clara? Um, <clears throat> Santa Clara would be, if you look at where Nuevo is, just Google Nuevo, look at that community. That area has built uh, about a thousand homes, something like that, uh, over the years. It's all pretty much done now, but they built a thousand homes. They have two apartments, luxury apartments. They also have Apex, which are condos to be purchased. They're all purchased already, or generally, I think they're all mostly purchased, but they're all pretty much moved in now. So that whole area, so nearby, <clears throat> that whole area is continued, is already zoned to be built for a bunch of new, more new constructions uh, areas. So that whole strip is all very, very prime uh, opportunities to be had. And Santa Clara is actually fairly progressive on building more, which is good. Hard, they have a lot of spaces that are like warehouses, old offices that they are tearing down and making new housing. So I like what they're doing. Uh, they're all fairly close to like public transit lines. That's a big part of their opportunity, like Caltrain line, VTA rail. Uh, both of those areas are very good <clears throat> density zones to be able to build a lot more housing. So very exciting for them. Uh, a few just things that I want to point out because we hear all this negativity all the time. And you get negativity when things are doing so well. And... I want people to also realize like it's not all bad, like living in the Bay Area. We're very lucky for most of us to be in the Bay Area. Like I just got back from Asia. I got back from Vietnam, got back from Taiwan. Uh, and I travel the world every single year all around to see like what is it like? And we have it super lucky in the U.S. You are in the top 1% of just being born in the U.S. And people need to, or if not even being born, if you even are in the U.S. So a lot of the immigrants, like they come for the, to the Bay Area for a reason. We, we really forget that. So I want to point out a few of these things as we wrap up the day. So Wall Street Journal ranks Estefa as a top U.S. airport. Now, to be fair, I was also in Asia for a bunch of the trips. So the U.S. airport in San Francisco is far worse than all of the Asian airports. Asia has done a very, very good job with this. And quite frankly, around the world has done a very good job. But to be mindful, at least in the U.S., it is still the best airport. And they have gone through changes. It's not like the SFO uh, airport has been the same from before. They've gone through a lot of terminal upgrades. They've gone through the a lot of the shops inside are a lot more improved. Um, if you have a good credit card, like a Chase Sapphire Reserve, I can give you a promo link. Uh, you have access to the lounges and you have access to the restaurants to be subsidized. So a lot of the restaurants have been improved. So there's a lot of things that have improved and done better 
And so I always want to give credit where credit is due of improvements. And so congratulations to SFO for winning the top U.S. airport. The last but not least, a interesting thing, um, an article written by the investor. I am investing $400 million towards reimagining the Transamerica Pyramid and its surrounding neighborhood. It's because I believe in the city and what it stands for. Very bold bet. Very interesting bet, right? So Transamerica has been a staple for a very long time. For those that have been there when it was first coming out, um, it just was a very, very monumental thing. And certainly things have changed throughout the year, uh, throughout the years in San Francisco. And I hopefully a lot of the political figures can get their acts together to figure out what is the best for the city. But regardless of that, at least there are many big investors and development firms. And we will continue to see this, that as the city of San Francisco can get their stuff together and be accommodating with a lot of these outside capital there will be a lot of opportunities that you will see of outside money that look at the office space and they look at the downtown and they look at San Francisco as an opportunity to reimagine what this place can be and what it can do. So I'm very excited to see a lot of these big developments. Michael Schvo, um, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, New York City-based real estate development. He acquired it in 2020 and will be redeveloping that building. So very exciting there. And we will see how that ultimately plays out. And hopefully that continues to improve that area. The area around Transamerica is the northern parts are actually fine. That's not so much than the, the uh, above market in that case. So it'll be interesting to see that. Well, it's good to be back. A little congestion. <clears throat> A little congested, as you can see. But I'm glad I'm here. Sorry about the videos. I have no idea what happened. Usually the video sounds play through. I will have it in the links below either way so that you can watch it and hear what it was. But of course, if you have any questions or comments about the Bay Area real estate market, or you're looking to make a move in the week or in a few months, send me a text, call me 408-547-4590, and we can go over a game plan. See you in the next one. Bye now.